All right, today is week number three, Todd, right? Week number three in our emphasis on living in the power of the resurrection. I'll give you a quiz. I gave it to you last week. Give it to you again. I'll give it to you again next week probably. When we think of Easter, we want to know that Easter equals what? Power. Easter equals power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in who? In us, in you. That's what it says. That the power, that powerful Holy Spirit who actually took Jesus who was in the grave dead and raised him to new life, that same Spirit of God dwells in the children of God. And today we're going to talk about that power of the, of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit within us in relating to the topic of praying with power. I think it's a pretty important topic. Praying with power. Jesus said something to his followers. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Maybe we looked at it the last two weeks. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember he said that to his followers? Then he said, now go and wait for the power. And they went and they waited and they were, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Shortly after he said to his followers, you will receive power. The people that he said that to went and waited and went and received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We read about in Acts chapter 2. And obviously when they received that Spirit's fullness, they received the power that Jesus spoke of. He said, you'll receive power. They obviously received that power that he spoke of because they had incredible results because of the power. Matter of fact, um, what I think is interesting is, is not only did they start a brand new church of something that had never been here before that now is, has gone across the entire world, they started a church on that day that, that we're part of. Um, they took the message everywhere, but that the power was so real that the people who didn't like what they were doing, the way they accused them to try to cause trouble for the early church is they said, you know what? They have turned the entire world upside down. Friends, that's power. When a little group of people can be praying in a room, receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they are so empowered by God that within a few short years, the ones who were unhappy with them said, listen, they're troublemakers. They're turning the entire world upside down. They received power. Now understand something, church. Tied to their power-filled lives and power-filled ministry was Holy Spirit-empowered prayer. And that's what I want us to think about and to focus on today. Living in the power of the resurrection with spirit-empowered prayer. Now, let's be honest for a minute. Sometimes in church we're not honest. We say what people want us to hear or say. People ask, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Your life is falling apart and you lied right to their face. You're doing it because you don't want to be thought of as, oh, I don't have it all together. Guess what? You don't. Neither do I. None of us do. We don't have it all together. So let me ask you a question, an honest question. And you just think about this to yourself. Do you at times feel powerless in your prayers? I do. Have you um, at times simply not known how to pray for a certain situation? I know I oftentimes not know how to pray. Well, this is what I know about God and His intention for us in prayer. Hopefully by the end we'll see that those things can be changed. I know this, that God wants us to pray, He wants us to pray powerfully, and He wants us to pray effectively. He wants His church to be a group of people who can pray, and because we pray, things happen. And that that powerful, effective prayer is tied to praying in the power of the resurrection. 
that that powerful, effective prayer is tied to having prayer empowered by the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You and I can have Spirit-empowered prayer. Now, understand this. Certainly, as people who have been saved by the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can pray effectively as we are led by the Spirit in prayer. We can pray and the Spirit of God can direct us and we can pray um, effectively in that way. However, we can also pray in a way that goes beyond Spirit-led prayer to Spirit prayer, where the Holy Spirit actually empowers our prayer and prays through us. Scripture speaks of this type of Spirit-empowered prayer as praying in the Spirit. Or in some places it calls it praying in other tongues. We're going to talk about that today. It's something of what we saw when we looked at the baptism in the Holy Spirit two weeks ago. And matter of fact, I'd say this, that if, if you've not been able to be here for all these messages, I really believe these messages are God. One of the most, I told our staff the other day, I said one of the most frustrating things about being a pastor is that when you believe God has led you to communicate something to the, to the church that you are shepherding, and it takes a series of weeks to do it, that a number of people miss a number of the things because they're running around doing different stuff. And I understand life happens. But now we've got this wonderful technology called podcasts. It doesn't cost you a dime. Download the message and listen to it so that you can get the full effect of what God is trying to say these four weeks and all the time. He says things often over a series of weeks. So we're thinking of this idea of praying in the Spirit or praying with tongues. It's something of what we saw a couple weeks ago when we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We read about how on the day of Pentecost that the followers of Jesus were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave them the words. Now on that occasion, they didn't know what was going to happen. On that occasion, those who saw what happened... So with the disciples and their followers that day, didn't understand the event. So the apostle Peter explained to the crowd that the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them and that as a result they'd begun to speak in such a way that the Holy Spirit was actually speaking or praying through them with languages that they had never learned. And the crowd understood that to be true because they said, yeah, we know that's true because we're hearing them speak in our languages from our native tongues and we know that these guys are Galileans. They don't know our languages. And these people on this day were, were speaking or praying in the Spirit. They were praying or speaking in tongues. They were using what, God, what we're going to look at today as spiritual languages in their praying. Now, before we get into any detail on this topic, it's unfortunate that I have to do something first. That First of all, what I have to do is I have to kind of give a disclaimer. You see, unfortunately, because of misguided teaching or misinformation or simply ignorance as to the truth of how God works through people, that a lot of people get all weirded out when you say something like praying in the Spirit, or you mention the word tongues in a church service. And I think the reason is because they think of maybe some Hollywood's misuse and some deranged movie that they watched, and they'll say that person will be all crazy and, you know, heads spinning around and all this, you know, exorcist stuff, and they'll say, huh, and she spoke in strange tongues. And they hear this stuff, and they get, they get, they misunderstand what is going on. So maybe through something they see through the media or through some misguided Christian who describes 
spiritual language as something that it is not, that it has been portrayed as something maybe weird or scary. And I want to tell you something. Nothing could be further from the truth. But this I know. Although nothing could be further from the truth, that's out there. You want to know how, how much I know it's out there? Just a week or two ago, I was asked by a pastor of a church in this community. His wife is having all kinds of issues. They believe that the issues are, are spiritually motivated or spiritual issues. That's the core of it. And he came to me and said, would you come? My wife wants to know if you would come and pray for her. He's a pastor of a church. He had his prayer partner there. And so I said, of course, I'll come and pray for your wife. So I had uh, asked Pastor Bruce, I said, hey, why don't you come with me? And he said, I can't. I have to go to a class. So I thought I wanted my, my, another, another spirit-filled man to go with me. And he couldn't. So I walked into the situation. And I said, let me pray for you. So we talked through about things. And we were going to pray. And I said to the two men and the lady, I said, would it be okay if I prayed in the spirit? And as quickly as I said that, one of them, this is not, I'm not talking about some backwoods water of Louisiana somewhere. I'm talking about this happened in Grafton two weeks ago. And one of them said to me, well, you won't foam at the mouth, will you? And I said, well, I guarantee you I won't foam at the mouth. There was such a misunderstanding, not because of scripture. And this is, this is a pastor of a church, of an effective church, a, a good friend of mine. Such, and it was the other guy who said it, but such a misunderstanding of spiritual language and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the area of prayer that this very well-educated, um, very mature Christian man would say to me, you won't foam at the mouth, will you? Friends, I want to tell you, the things of the Spirit are not spooky. The things of the Spirit are not weird. Nothing could be further from the truth than the things of the Spirit are nothing but positive. I mean, they're, they're, nothing could be more true than they are positive. See, understand this. Praying in the Spirit is simply prayer that is empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit that resides in the follower of Christ. Who believes when they came to Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you? Right? We've looked at that the last couple of weeks. Praying in the Spirit is simply understanding that spirit, the spiritual reality within you by the presence of the Holy Spirit can affect how we pray. You know what's interesting to me? It's interesting to me that virtually no one finds it strange that God could, by His Spirit, heal a person who is sick. If that were not true, why would anybody pray for sick? We believe God could, by His Spirit, heal somebody that is sick. And we talk about it all the time, people that God heals. They don't find, we don't find that strange. Virtually no one finds it strange that God could, by His Spirit, speak to someone when they ask for an answer or direction in, their, in prayer. They say, God, I don't know what to do about the situation. God, I, my kid's going astray. God, my, my situation at work is bad. Or, God, I need to choose between these two options. And we pray and we look for direction. No one thinks it's strange when they feel that the Spirit of the Lord that resides within them gives them direction. If that was true, why else? If we think it's weird, why else would we pray? But when we mention praying in the Spirit, some, for some reason people find it strange. Understand this, praying in the Spirit is of the same nature as anything else supernatural that God does. You understand, that's what happens when you get the, when the presence of the Spirit's in you. You go from natural to supernatural. It doesn't mean you can kind of cape and you fly. That's not what it means. It means that now the, the supernaturalness of God has an effectual part of your life. 
And that now, um, with the spirit within you, that now God does things in and through you that cannot be done just in the natural. It's beyond just human, human natural. And praying in the spirit is in that same uh, nature as anything else that is supernatural, just like healing. It's prayer, praying the Spirit is prayer or worship that is empowered and directed by the Spirit of God within the child of God. It's the Holy Spirit giving the word so that prayer will be powerful and effective. Friends, it's not spooky. It's just at times misunderstood. In fact, that's why you will rarely hear me when I'm preaching or talking to you referring to praying in the Spirit as praying in tongues. I almost never use that terminology. And the reason I don't, even though it is the biblical term, is because people have attached such negative connotations to it, to the word tongues, that I'll usually refer to it as praying with spiritual language. Because it doesn't have the negative connotations associated with it. Not that God put with it, but that misguided people have put with this whole idea. Now, are you right done with the disclaimer? Good enough? With all that being said, let's look into this whole idea of spirit-empowered prayer of praying with spiritual language. And I think the first thing we need to grasp in order to to have clarity when looking at this in the Scripture is for us to understand that in the Scripture there are three distinct ways that spiritual language is revealed or shown to operate in the life of of the children of God. And if you don't understand the distinction in the three ways, at times when you read Scriptures, you'll read one and you'll think it's talking about another and it'll be muddy in your mind, but really spiritual language is really clear in Scripture. You need to understand that the Spirit of God functions in, in three distinct ways through spiritual language. So let's look at the three ways. And we're going to get the last one. We're going to go through the first two first. But look at the last one is we're going to look at praying in the Spirit. So the three ways that, that spiritual language is used in the Scriptures. And the first one is the one that you're probably most familiar with. Probably the one that I would say this. I think it's been emphasized and maybe overemphasized in the church world to the point that the other ones have been de-emphasized. And I think that's been a mistake. Because the first one is a reality But the first one I don't think is the most important reality, and it's this. It's spiritual language as evidence that someone has been filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, over the past two weeks, we have looked at a number of situations in Scripture where people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at that, you know, through this whole series. And as we have read the texts about people being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've probably noticed that in most of the stories, the writers of Scripture went out of their way to tell that when the person or people or group of people who received the Holy Spirit, received the Spirit's fullness, that at that time they spoke, would say they spoke with other tongues or they spoke with spiritual language. Grab your Bibles with me. We're not going to take a lot of time on this, but we're just going to look at a real quick overview to show you what I'm talking about. Turn to the book of Acts. We're going to look real quick at three separate instances in the book of Acts, and they're ones that we've looked at in the last couple of weeks. But I'm just going to read them quickly, and I want you to just pay attention to listen for this, um, this occurrence. They were filled with spirit, and there was a result that they, they spoke with, with spiritual language. Book of Acts. Chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them the utterance. Now flip over a few pages to Acts chapter 10. Teach us a, a principle here of understanding Scripture. When you see something repeated over and over, repetition is for emphasis. And so we're going to see something repeated over and over here. Acts chapter 10. Let's just look at starting verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he's speaking to a group of, of non-Jewish Gentile believer, Gentile people that he's preaching the gospel to. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. And they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now flip to Acts chapter 19. Repetitions for emphasis, right? 19, starting in verse 1. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with tongues and prophesying, and they were all about twelve men. Friends, throughout Christian history, this pattern has been repeated. And I think that all that really needs to be said about this today is that when a person prays to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that they should be open to receive all the fullness that God has for them, and by faith should receive what God desires to give to his followers, and that spiritual language is seen as a reality of that thing, of that reality of the presence of the Spirit that you've been asking to receive. And friends, that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 10 that we just read. That, we, that the Jewish followers of Christ understood that the Gentiles, who they did not even believe could come to Christ, they didn't think, they thought salvation was only of the Jews, that the Gentiles could actually be saved and actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way they concluded that was because they had the same proof. When they received the fullness of the Spirit, they spoke in spiritual language. Now the Gentiles receive the fullness of the Spirit, and they speak in spiritual language. And they say, that's the fullness. We see there's evidence of it. So that's the first way in Scripture that we see spiritual language um, revealed. That when somebody receives the fullness of the Spirit, they, the evidence, there's evidence that they speak um, with spiritual language, praising and glorifying God with spiritual language. That's the first way. Now let's look at the second way that spiritual language is revealed in Scripture. Now remember this, it's a second way, but it's not necessarily different in nature. It's of the same nature, of the same essence. It's still speaking in spiritual language, but it's used in a different function in the kingdom of God. And so we'll look at the second way. So it's not like there's different kinds of spiritual language, that God just uses spiritual language in different ways throughout Scripture. The second way is this. Scripture, the Holy Spirit is revealed this way in spiritual language. The Holy Spirit um, gift of tongues combined with the Holy Spirit gift of interpretation of tongues that bring a message 
from God to a group of people. So there's a Holy Spirit gift of tongues combined with the Holy Spirit gift of interpretation in order to bring a message to a group of people. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where we've been spending a lot of time lately. Chapter 12 lists all these gifts of the Spirit. In that gift list is tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, faith, all these different nine manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 13 is the train tracks, remember, that guide the, the gifts. They're about everything must be done in love, the love chapter. And then 14, chapter 14, talks about now how do these spiritual gifts operate properly in this kind of a setting? How do they operate in a corporate group setting? Okay? So chapter 14, let's, we're going to do a long section, 19 verses. But I have to read this whole thing so you get it. 14, starting in verse 1. It says, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but is in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, for the exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. The greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either a flute or a harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinct distinction in tone, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be, it will be to the one who is speaking a, a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the, with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, I know that was a long section of scripture to read, but I think we need it to get the whole big picture. What we just read shows us that God will communicate to people by combining the spiritual gifts of tongues and the spiritual gift of interpretation to a group so that he can communicate, he can get their attention through tongues, give the explanation through the interpretation, so that together those two things equal a prophetic word given by the Spirit to a group of people because God wants to say something to his church. So, from this text, what do we, what do we see about tongues and interpretation here? The first thing we see is this, that it's valid, that it's real. 
God can and will speak to a group of people to build them up or to correct them through the com- combination of a gift of, of, of tongues and a gift of interpretation. And a few weeks ago in church, we had that happen. I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but Gary Oslin was up here, and he felt it was led of the Spirit. He said, said God wanted to use them in a gift of tongues, and he spoke out in a gift of tongues. And then we waited, and I said, I know somebody's got, God's going to give the gift of interpretation. And somebody then spoke a gift of the interpretation and explained what God had said through the tongues. A spiritual gift and a spiritual gift combining to give a message to a congregation. That we see that is valid. That's one thing that we're learning here as we're reading this. It's saying this is for the church, that it's valid for these gifts to be used in conjunction to communicate to the church. Now I would say this in relating those two things. Um, because Paul's going to say, but he says in a congregation, I'd rather speak where people understand me. And the point is this, that logistically it becomes very difficult for, God, for those gifts to operate in a church when a congregation gets large at all. And so a person has a message in tongues and interpretation, no one can understand what's being said often. And this is my, under, my belief, that that's why the place that those will operate the most readily will be in your prayer groups. God will give a message in a small group. God will give a message when you're praying with your, with, your, with your peers on a Tuesday night, other believers, that way. Because it's logistically difficult in a congregation. That's why I think Paul is saying, for the most part, in a group, we, we, don't, we don't have that happen that often. So, we see it's valid. What else? We see in, in a church service, um, what we just read, that in a church service, the next thing about tongues and interpretation is that tongues should only be expressed publicly, I mean loudly for everybody to hear, if it is also to be interpreted. That a group of spirit-filled Christians should not just randomly speak out in tongues with others around who may not understand what is going on. That's why Paul says in verses 18 and 19, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. He's talking about in his private life. He says, but, however, in the church, when we're gathered together, I desire to speak only five words with my mind rather than to speak 10,000 words in a tongue because somebody doesn't understand what it's saying. He said, so, so it can only be given in a church service. He says, unless there's an interpre- interpreter, do not speak in a tongue. So tongues and interpretation, we see from this, are valid. And in fact, verse 39, if you'd read on, would say this. It says they should not be forbidden. It says do not forbid speaking in tongues. Yet tongues in a public worship service should be accompanied by an interpretation. If that, and if that isn't present, then spiritual language should be kept to oneself and just prayed quietly to oneself. Why is that? Because remember the fact that gifts dry, fruit drives gifts. If you don't understand what I'm saying, get the sermon from last week. That fruit is the love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It guides the power. It keeps power from getting out of control. Love says this, that that I'm not just going to exercise my right to have a spiritual gift if it's not going to bless somebody who's next to me. And so love guides it. So unless there's an interpretation so that everybody can understand, we we don't express it in a public worship service. That make sense? Am I, are you following me so far? I know I'm feeling like, a, like this is more like a college class than a church sermon. But, but here's the deal. Here's what I believe before we get to the most important part of this whole sermon. And I'm going through a ton of information. Here's the reason why. I believe if we'll grasp this point, it will absolutely transform this church. I believe if we'll grasp this point and be a group of people who 50% of us pray in the Spirit on a regular basis every day, God will use us to change Ozaki County. Because it's going to allow, you're going to see, it's going to allow the power of the Spirit to do things that aren't done in the natural. 
And so you've got to get the whole picture. Because I believe this single, this single thing, I believe this is the centerpiece of these four weeks that God wants us to look at. That this empowering is something that as Pentecostals we say we understand, we say we do, but my experience says it's not something we understand, it's something we don't participate in and we don't do regularly. But I believe that if we will grasp this today, it will absolutely transform your life and it will transform this church and God will use it to transform this community. I believe that. That strongly. So let's get to point three. Spiritual language uses a sign of fullness of the Spirit. Spiritual language used in conjunction with a gift of interpretation to communicate a message to a group. But now number three, and this is where we put our heart today. Spiritual language as a form of personal prayer. Spiritual language as powerful prayer. That's what, we want, that's what I want you to get today. This is the dimension of spiritual language that, that I believe Scripture places the most value on. And I think, unfortunately, historically, the church world has put all the emphasis on a sign instead of on the power that's available for prayer. You see, friends, I think God is much less concerned with spiritual language being a sign of spirit fullness than he, that, that he's much more concerned with spiritual language being a source of spiritual power. Do you hear what I said? I think God is much less concerned with spiritual language or tongues being a sign of spirit baptism and is much more concerned with spiritual language being a source of spiritual power, a source of powerful prayer. And here's what I understand. When I asked in the beginning, how many feel powerless in prayer? Almost everybody said yes. When I asked in the beginning, how many people feel they don't know how to pray as they should? Almost all of you said yes. Friends, this is an ingredient, a key to a powerful prayer life that we have to get because it unlocks those things where we feel powerless. It gives us power. It unlocks that, 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 those handcuffs where we don't know how to pray. It allows the Spirit to pray through us, to pray perfectly in the will of God. So I think God is most concerned with spiritual language as a source of spiritual power. We see in Scripture that there is a dimension of prayer that is spirit prayer that we can have the Spirit of God praying in and through us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 again. I'm just going to pick up four different verses to read, and we're going to then talk about those four verses. Verse 2. It says, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands it, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Verses 14 and 15. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Look at verse 15. I emphasize it when I read it the first time. I hope I just emphasize it when I read it the second time. I will pray with the Spirit and, underline and in your Bible, I will pray with the mind also, underline also. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. The Apostle Paul here, in teaching about spiritual language, shows two types of prayer. Praying with the mind, which means praying with meaning, praying with our intellect, Using your mind and your word to talk to God. Praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Give us this day our daily bread. God, you know what I need today? God, my car's broke. I need you to give me, help me fix my car. God, my kid's going astray. I need you to take care of the situation. That's praying with our mind. He says praying with our intellect or praying with our mind. But he says, and he also says, we can not only pray with our mind, but we can pray with the Spirit. It's something that is separate and distinct from praying with the mind. Friend, this is spiritual language as a personal prayer language. When the Apostle Paul says in verse 18 that I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, this is what he's referring to. He's referring to his personal spiritual prayer praying that he does outside of the church gathering. He says in church, I'm not concerned about speaking in tongues. He says, but in my private life, he says this. He almost brags. I thank God that I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. And that's what he says. Friends, one of the greatest blessings of spiritfulness is being able to partner with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to flow through you in prayer with a prayer language. What I want each of you to understand today is that this is something that God has for each and every one of us. And look at the blessings that Scripture says come to us when we pray in this way. First of all, verse 4. It says when we pray in the Spirit, what happens? It says we are edified or we are built up. You know what edified means? That's what it means. It means spiritually we'll be uplifted or built up. Friends, praying in the Spirit lifts you up. Let me just talk from personal experience for a minute. I have found that the greatest thing a person can do when they are feeling down is to pray in the Spirit. I have found that when I am feeling attacked spiritually, I'll tell Suzanne this, I'll say it to her like this, I'll say, I feel like I'm going into the pit. I can feel it. It's just a heaviness, a weight that comes upon me. And I don't, just because of being a child of God or being a pastor, I don't know, but I feel a weight of spiritual attack. The best thing I can do, talking about it doesn't change it. Counseling doesn't change it. You know what changes it? I pray in the Spirit. When I pray in the Spirit, I begin to feel lifted up. To get alone with God and to allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to flow in and through you uplifts you. And I have found that if I will pray in the Spirit every morning, that it literally changes how I see the day and how I act and how I react to whatever a day may bring. I found that in my life. And I've done experiments. You're going to think, laugh at me. But I really have. I've done experiments where I said, I'm not going to pray in the Spirit for six months. I want to see if I feel a difference. I've said, I've, I've do my devotions in the morning for six months. See the difference. Do my devotions at the at evening for six months. Do no devotions at all for six months. And basically keep a log. Does it affect how I feel? Over the years I've done this. And you know what I found out? That if I'll get out of bed every morning and one of the first things I'll do in my devotion time is pray in the Spirit. Just me and God. It changes everything about my day. It changes my perspective on life. It lifts me up. If I'm feeling down, it lifts me up. Because of praying in the Spirit. So that's what the word says, verse 4. It says, it will edify you. It doesn't edify anybody else, it edifies you. So guess what? I can't do this for you. You can only do this for you. I can't pray in the Spirit and edify you. You can pray in the Spirit and edify yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a personal thing. But that's not the only blessing that Scripture says it has. Another blessing of praying in the Spirit is this, that it allows you to pray in the will of God. You can pray God's will for a situation and God responds and that's effective prayer. Grab your Bible again. Turn to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. 
Some of you are going to say, I never saw this before. You're going to look at this and say, I never saw the connection before. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It says this, Romans 8, 26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for saints according to the will of God. Now we'll stop right there. We're going to need to read the next verse in a couple minutes. As we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit who knows the will of God, what's it say here? Prays for us or intercedes for us. And it says his groanings are too deep for words. The Spirit's praying beyond what our language can communicate. His groanings are too deep for words. They're beyond our, our ability to communicate in our own language. Praying in the Spirit, friends, understand this is the whole thing you got to get today. Praying in the Spirit marries together the limitless power of God with our limited humanity, and we pray effectively because He is praying through us. That's what Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit prayer is all about. All about. And I want you to think about something else. Look at verse, look at verse 28. Remember, it's following right on this. And the court, you know, Spirit, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will, verse 28, and... We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Friends, it certainly appears that Scripture is tying together spirit prayer and God causing all things to work together for good in our lives. It surely seems that the very outcome of the events of our lives are brought together for good as we connect with God through praying in the Spirit. He says, prayer in the Spirit, the Spirit will pray for you, through you, you don't know how to pray, you pray the will of God by praying in the Spirit, and then all things work together for good, for those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Friends, understand today, God has so much more for us than just struggling through life. And i got to tell you, I'm tired of watching Christians just struggle through life by their own efforts. That's never been God's plan for His church. He planned, he said to the church, don't start anything. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you receive the fullness of the Spirit. And when they did, they were empowered. Friends, God has so much more for us than just struggling through life. He is the one who said, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Friends, one of the realities of His Spirit in you is powerful prayer. And a prayer language is available to all followers of Christ because the Spirit of God in us is the one who does regeneration. If you are a person who has received Christ, the Spirit of God is working in your life. And one of the realities of that can be praying in a heavenly language, in a prayer language that allows you to be lifted up and allows you to pray according to the will of God. Friend, this is something that God has for every single one of us. And it's something that I hope that we'll have open hearts and say, God, I want all that I can have. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?